Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 340 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm excited about this episode because I get to share the story of one of our athletes. We're going to bring on Paul Estesso. He is a member of the Rogue Renegades, one of our virtual training groups, and he is coached by James Dodds and I. And James will be on with him in this episode to share his story. And I think it's one that will be inspirational for many of you because he was someone who wanted to get faster as a marathoner, did it one way for a long time, and then ultimately had an epiphany that helped him really shift gears, build momentum, and ultimately see big breakthroughs with his running. And it's been fun to help him do that as a part of one of our groups. But there's a lot of inspiration to be had in this one. I don't need to give much of an intro because we'll get into his full background in the conversation. So before I jump in with that, I want to just quickly thank my sponsor for this episode, John G. They are a running apparel company that has been working with me now for over six months, and they have just extended our relationship, which has been great. I'm excited to be working with them for even longer. So I'll be talking about my partnership with them as well as giving you an offer code mid-episode. So with that, we'll jump in with Paul Estesso. Here we go. Welcome, Paul Estesso, to the Running Rogue podcast. Paul, how are you? Um. Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Got, glad to have you on. We're we're not on the Renegade podcast, which you've been on before. Paul's a rogue renegade, trains with our virtual podcast-based group with James and I. We're on the big podcast. You're you're hitting it big today. Gonna get a lot of new fans. Pretty cool, pretty special. Excited to dig into your story. Obviously, we've gotten to do that before, but we're excited to do it for the broader audience because I think there's, as with any athlete we could bring on, there's always good takeaways for others hearing the stories of one individual's journey and want to give the, the broader audience some context first on you by first just giving us a little bit about you as a person. I know you I know all these things, but tell the world, where do you live? What do you do? What's your family situation? What's your background? Sure. So I'm, I'm originally from Mexico City. Uh, I moved here for high school, was in the Marines, went to college in Florida. And then I've, I'm a doctor, so I went to medical school at Hopkins, went, did a PhD along the way. And then I've been in Boston for the last 10 years. I'm a pediatric heart transplant cardiologist, so doing that, uh, and have been involved in sports one way or another my whole life. You're clearly a really smart guy, PhD and MD, and you're not just doing any old doctor stuff. You're you're taking care of the most vital organ. So love it. Let's dig in on your running journey. I know you mentioned the Marines background. Obviously, you had to do some stuff for physical fitness there, but where does it really start for you? I mean, running's always been a part of my life one way or another. Uh, never, early on, never as a specific sport, but I, as a Mexican, I played soccer a lot growing up, played basketball uh, competitively, both of them. I did a bunch of other sports show jumping and karate and beach volleyball and all the things. 
And it was really in high school trying to be a better soccer player that I started running track. And I ran the mile and the two mile. And season uh, for cross country was the same as soccer, so I couldn't do that, even though that seemed kind of fun. And then the Marines, I our big sort of goal in the Marines was anything for a t-shirt. So every time we had a chance <laughs> to do an event, whether it was boxing, swimming, uh, triathlon, running, whatever, we'd sign up. Um, and that was my introduction to a little bit of running races. Do you remember your first one? I don't specifically. Uh, I think the most memorable from that time was we were deployed to Panama, uh, got there on a Friday night, and on Sunday morning they had a triathlon, an Olympic triathlon up in the jungles of Panama with an open water swim and it seemed like the right thing to do for a t-shirt. So <laughs> <laughs> went out in town on Saturday, we rented some street bikes, not, not like racing bikes, but like cruising bikes. Right. <laughs> and a bunch of us did it and uh, we finished and it wasn't easy. Uh, and the transitions were really hard. Uh, <laughs> But we did it, so that was that was pretty cool. How did the bike perform? It was pretty hilly, uh, and the bike felt fine. I think getting out of the open water swim and getting on the bike, it felt like my, my lungs were on fire. But then getting off the bike and trying to run, it, it, it just it wasn't working. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody. Can understand that feeling unless you've had it, where your legs feel like jelly in a sense. They're very wobbly. This is why you have to practice transitions in triathlon because you will, you can fall over. My wife actually fell over in her first triathlon transitioning from bike to run because the legs just aren't working normally, and then suddenly you're you're on the ground. But but yeah, it's a weird feeling. So you got introduced to it there in a foreign country. Yeah, it was kind of a trial by fire. I would imagine that felt pretty accomplished, though, to get that done. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing because I'm we certainly run in the Marine Corps. Um, we certainly swim, though not long distances and never open water. Um, but the bike was a totally new experience, and I don't, I don't know what it was, but the the whole thing ended up being not quite a hundred K, but it was, I don't know, somewhere around 80 K for the whole thing. Uh, I think it was 50 K on the bike or 60 K on the bike. Um, and it was hard. That's, that's a long way on a cruiser. <laughs> Very impressive. So your further introduction to endurance sports there in the Marines. How did you do on your PT test? They had a, a maximum score that you needed to do 20 pull-ups, 100 sit-ups in a minute, and you had to run under 18 for three miles. And it was the only – the running in boot camp was the only thing I didn't score perfect on. 
but after boot camp i worked on that part and ended up getting to a point where i was running consistently in the high 16s there was one pt test in, in panama as a matter of fact where i ran a 1603 but everybody ran really fast which makes me think it was a short course. <laughs> okay. But that's that's showing some speed pretty early on, which will be relevant as we talk about your journey now. Where did it go from there? And how did you go from Marines to PhD and MD? Yeah, I, I always wanted to to be a doctor and I sometimes say I sort of had a, had a quarter life crisis, but coming from Mexico and and moving to the U.S. and really seeing not just the idea, but sort of feeling the land of opportunity uh, ideal um, in a palpable way made me want to get back. And so late high school, I relatively suddenly decided that I was going to delay college and go in the Marines. Uh, and if I was going to go in the military, it had to be the hardest thing. So I did my Marine infantry and it, it just felt like something important that I could give back to this country that was sort of embracing me through no action of mine. Um, and I convinced myself that that was what needed to happen. And I think it's been a really impactful part of my life and it's, it's helped me be where I am today. Uh, but it was always i always thought of it as a step in this in this in this life and so when the four years commitment was was completed i went to college and headed back towards my original path of of being a doctor i wanted to pause and just ask you what is it in you that makes you choose the hardest path you know you choose marine infantry you choose not just md but md phd i mean it's it's a common theme in your story here. I don't know. I think that um, I think that the things that are worth most in life are challenging, um, and I think setting up a challenge from the beginning gives you an opportunity to to work hard and and rise to that challenge and. Uh, gives you tangible things to be proud of. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's, it's not necessarily a mantra of mine, right? It just, it's how I've relatively unconsciously have, have liked to make decisions along the way. It also portends that you have big running goals to, to, to tackle too, which we'll talk about as we get through this. So Marines, college, medical training, the running must have at some point had to take a back seat. So how did it evolve for you? Yeah, I think sports have always been a really important part of my life. And uh, I sort of remember my mom saying along the way that she likes shopping and that was her way of maintaining her sanity. Uh, That was... She didn't want to spend money on therapists, so she'd rather go spend money on shoes. Uh, <laughs> and I think for me, it's been similar. I don't want to spend time in therapy. I want to I want to work through and, and smooth out the things that are challenging. 
by by doing physical activity. And so sports been has been a really important part of my life in that way. And it's been less important about what the sport is, uh, but really just challenging yourself physically and having some goals so that you can um, process all the other stuff. So I kept running and I really got into lifting. I got into lifting really because I wanted to play college soccer. And uh, I'm very short, as you guys know. Uh, and so along the way, some coach said, well, you got to put on muscle. So I started lifting, but I enjoyed the running as sort of part of a general fitness. And then I started rock climbing. So then I did that for a while and I would like to run to the gym and and running always kind of came along, though it hadn't been my primary sport until until much later. And so my first longer race I did was I did a half marathon once I moved to Boston because I heard that running in Boston was important and there was a BA half, so it seemed like the right thing to do. When was that? It was in 2013. So 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Talk about that first half. What was the experience like? It's it's a it's a little bit hilly course. It's not terrible, uh, but I had never run that long in my life. I hadn't run. I didn't really train for it. I didn't have a training plan. I sort of was running, uh, and I said I'll run a little bit more, and but had no plan, had no concept of how fast I should go or pacing anything like that. Uh, the race got hard and it got harder as, as it was getting later. And the last couple of miles, you go up this little trail or packed dirt. That's a little bit uphill. And then you come down my 12, mile 12, I think you're running downhill. And I, I've always had a difficult time running downhill. So that was a really hard mile. It was really sunny. There's a lot of sun exposed areas. That's hard for me as well. Uh, so I ran hard as hard as I could for the whole time and then came in pretty pretty sore and sweaty uh but haven't done it which felt felt great what was your time on that first one 147 or 146 high and how did you feel at that finish line i felt like it was really hard i felt accomplished and i felt happy to be done <laughs> I would imagine, though, you were also thinking, when can I do it next and when can I do it better? I definitely was thinking, I want to do this again. One of the things I was not thinking, or I was thinking, was I'm never going to do a marathon. How do people <laughs> double this, suffer fast, and do it again? Was that a fleeting thought or a lingering one? <laughs> I think that in, in deciding to run the half, it's sort of a natural question. Like, is there right. a fall down the road? Because it's it's such an unfair name, right? A half marathon. Uh, and, and I see this in other places where people are like, oh, I'm just an MD and you're an MD, PhD. And I, that's just ridiculous, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the half right. marathon, the half Ironman, I think these are amazing feats that people do. And the name sort of tricks you into feeling like you have to do more. Well, this is why they rebranded it to 70.3. Sounds better than half iron. Yeah. But it is interesting 
pausing for a moment on that thought that when you do a half marathon, that's the question people ask you. Well, when are you doing a full? When you do a half iron or 70.3, when are you doing a full Ironman? When you do a 50 miler, people are asking you, when are you going to, are you going to do a hundred? It's always the natural question as if that isn't a big enough thing on its own. <laughs> and I can tell you for me personally, the answer to the half marathon, well, I skipped over the half and went straight to the marathon. So that was a fairly straightforward answer. But having done a 70.3 and done a 50 miler, my answer for the longer one is no, I'm not. I'm good. I don't need to do it. <laughs> but something in you eventually got to, I want to do a marathon. So how did that evolve? It, that was really, I met my wife now, uh, right about a month or two after having done that half. And she was a runner and wanted to do, had always wanted to do a marathon. And she got in New York in 2014 via the lottery. And just seeing her do her marathon and supporting her and training through it. Um, I thought, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. Maybe I should try to do this. Inspired by your wife. Yeah. And what did you do? 2015, we signed up for the first half of the duels, fool's duel or something like that in, in Dallas where you can run a marathon New Year's Eve. And if you want to, you can come back, do another race up to a marathon New Year's Day. This was 20, must have been 2015. Uh, and God... Uh, plan off the internet and was a busy resident at the time. And residency for us in pediatrics in Boston is, is pretty busy. Your Q4 call, so 26 hour call, you know, 24 was a little overlap every fourth day for the whole year, four weeks of vacation sprinkled in there. So busy, busy days. And the, did the hell hit done? It called for know, four to five days running a week. I picked up an intermediate plan based on what I had done on the half and the fact that I was running here and there. And I was very dedicated and I did all the miles, but I did them in three days. So did all the long runs and then the rest of the runs, three or four other runs, I just folded them into two runs. So I was running three days a week. Uh, and ended up with compartment syndrome that showed up late in that training cycle and kept me from finishing. So I DNF that marathon, kept me from finishing that marathon, did 17 miles, and then wow. I couldn't stand the pain anymore. So I stopped. That must have been demoralizing for someone like you. It was pretty disappointing. I don't like to quit. Um but also felt foolish to to keep going, um, and it felt pretty predictable. By that I mean, at every time I ran over fifteen miles, my legs started hurting, and it hurt more at sixteen, more at seventeen. Um, it showed up really, really started increasing after I did a twenty-one miler, uh, and I ended up running faster than what my MGP should have been, and it just felt amazing. Best run of my life. I had never run 
I never run 16 miles. So every week was a new lifetime best and doing this challenging athletic endeavor was just felt great all the time. And so to not be able to complete it was pretty, pretty disappointing, even though I, I sort of knew when the pain was going to start. The rational brain knew, knew it was the right call and it probably was. Yeah. How did you work through compartment syndrome? Cause that can be a tricky one. Uh, right pain at the right time with the right sort of pattern. So you knew. Uh, so I knew. Yeah. And what did you do about it? What'd you do next? I took a break to let things cool down. And then I said, well, I'm going to have to, I, I really loved training for a marathon. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to run, have a better base at the beginning of the next cycle so that I'm not ramping up too quickly and I don't have the same sort of unbalanced fascial to muscle cell growth. And did that. And for the next several marathon cycles, uh, which uh, I did, ended up deciding at that point that it was awesome, that I was going to do it again, I was going to finish, and that I was going to do one a year. And that all sort of came as a package and no idea why. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I, I did that and I never got compartment syndrome again, but every training cycle I would get an injury. Uh, I pulled a hamstring on a half a couple of months or like two months before the next marathon, still was able to run the marathon. And I did something else to a calf, the cycle after that, but still was able to complete all the, all the rest of the marathons that I set out to do. And I think every time along the way, I sort of learned a little bit more, um, Unfortunately, uh, I wasn't smart enough to run slow or run more days, uh, but I was starting to understand that continuous running throughout the year was helpful. So over those couple of years, I started getting to a point of noticing that I could run 700 miles in six months and finish the year with 800 miles. Or I could just try to run a thousand miles for a year. So that became my next goal as I was training. And that really helped me to be consistent. What ended up being your first marathon? So the first marathon I completed was appropriately the Marine Corps Marathon. Perfect. How'd that one go? It was perfect. It was, uh, and I had no frame of reference other than, I started and finished. Uh, so that was perfect. And I think the emotional connection to the Marine Corps marathon and to the service was important uh, to be able to finish at the Iwo Jima memor- Memorial and think of all the people that have truly sacrificed themselves along the way uh, was really powerful. And to have all the people cheering And, you know, there's so many aspects of of that marathon that are special that it was amazing. Yeah, they do a good job of celebrating those that serve through Mm -hmm. that event, which is cool. 
So as you're doing these marathons, you're talking about getting injuries, but still getting it done. You know, what is your progression like over those first several years? Yeah. So my first marathon, I had a off the cuff goal of running 340 or sub 340. I ended up running 340 and some seconds, which was great. Uh, walked near near the Pentagon at the end. They sort of send you away from everybody in a really sunny area, probably around mile 21, because why not? That seems the right place to be <laughs> in an uncomfortable point. Uh, and I walked a little bit there, uh, but finished strong and feeling really proud of, of the accomplishment. I have a great picture of my wife and I right in front of Iwo Jima Memorial. I waited for her to finish. Uh, and, and that was great. And I did Chicago after that. Then I did the Mount Desert Island and um, Acadia National Park. Then I did New York. And for most of those marathons, New York excluded, I was getting better. But the, the incremental gains were seconds to minutes, uh, race to race. So by the time I, I raced Chicago in 2017, I had a PR that was 337. So three minutes better. Three minutes better over <laughs> several marathons. Incremental. But you were seeing other gains, sounds like, from a consistency standpoint. I do think that part is interesting to highlight because obviously it's an emphasis of what I talk about on this show of running easy, running more, running, doing it consistently. But sometimes we don't translate that into a frame of reference for what does that mean and it sounds like you were able to do that to say, okay, well, I could run 700 miles a year or I could run 1,000 continuously. That's probably better. And I think it's helpful for people to think about it that way, even though you know, you shouldn't necessarily plan your training to say, well, I'm going to get to this. You know, But if you're consistent and that's the outcome of a year's worth of work, then it it's ma- it matters, and you should see that grow incrementally over time. You can do seven hundred one year, then a thousand, then thirteen hundred, then seventeen hundred, then two thousand, then maybe twenty five hundred. It will start to build on itself. So, talk about that journey and in consistency for you, especially as somebody who is obviously balancing a lot of work life stuff. Yeah, so I started. That first year, I hit a thousand miles, and for the next three years or so, I hit a thousand to twelve hundred miles, roughly every year, and including one marathon cycle a year. And as the pandemic, so twenty nineteen, we had our first child, and I wanted to run a marathon every year, but. Turns out it's harder when you have a baby at home. (laughs) So I did a training cycle with no race in mind. And I ended up not, I thought I would just run the 26.2 on my own, but ended up not doing that. But still did the training cycle getting up to 20 or 21 miles. And then the pandemic hit and I did the same thing. 2020 did a training cycle, no race. uh, And I got... 1500 miles that year 
uh, or maybe 1300 and 1500 the next, something like that. It was getting incrementally better. And then 2021, I said, okay, it's, it's time to run my next, my next race. And uh, even if it's just by myself, I want to run 26.2 this year. And so I, I was training for a marathon and planning to run it sometime in November. And along the way, one of the charities uh, from family that we, we take care of reached out and said, 11 days before Boston in 2021, said, hey, uh, we have a bib. Would you like to run? And I had already done a 20. So I said, okay, I guess I better start tapering. This would be for the October 21 race. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And yep. and hadn't raced any in between, uh, but had had consistency. And, uh, and I think the other thing that happened, not because we're talking here, but the other thing I, that happened is I found the podcast and something about you saying it uh, really sunk in. And so I started polarizing my training, running easy, trying to have specific target for, for slow days or recovery days. And uh, it's, that started feeling good. I started putting more, more days of running a week uh, that helped my mileage go up and went into that race with no specific time goal. Uh, but with the understanding that I was running for something bigger than myself and that it was important to me to finish strong. Uh, and I didn't want to, wasn't so much that I didn't want to walk, but I didn't want to, I certainly didn't want a DNF. I didn't want to bonk. And I wanted to uh, be able to represent the jersey that I was wearing and, and the family, the sentiment, the foundation that I was representing in a way in which I, I would feel proud about. Um, and it was really special. I had never run Boston, uh, didn't qualify, but had this opportunity. And uh, I, I had a pretty great day and ended up running 332. So it was five minute PR. That's amazing. Speak quickly to the charity that you're racing for that day. Yeah, so the Joseph Middlemiss Big Heart Foundation is a foundation of a family that I know who uh, had a child with cardiomyopathy, uh, so a sick heart, uh, and whose child passed away. And it's uh, an extremely wonderful family and they've put this foundation together to try to help children and they have multiple avenues of interest they want to help children with cardiomyopathy and and they're involved with the hospital but they want to help children read and and you know focus on literacy and focus on access to uh, everything kids need uh, the both parents uh, of this family are educators, a high school principal and a teacher, uh, and they have two other kids. Uh, and their youngest kid is a, is also a patient of ours, um, and they're just a joy. They're they're pretty fantastic people, um, and 
their story, at least in part, is also captured in, um, I'm blanking on the race director of the Boston Marathon's name. Um, Dave, Dave McGilroy. Oh yeah, Dave, exactly. But Dave is close to the family as well. And he's written three children's books. And on one of the children's books, he mentions Jack, who's uh, the kid I take care of. That's cool. I do think it's important to quickly highlight the beauty of the charity aspect of Boston as well. I'm all for people performing and getting and earning the qualifier, but I think there's as much inspiration to be found in those that are running for other causes or for other people. And sometimes people get cranky about that, which is, which is frustrating for me because there's so many reasons that that race is beautiful. And what you were doing there is one of them. Talk about the Boston experience for you that day, just because it's, I do think it's unique for somebody who lives in Boston, who understands what it all represents to then be able to go experience it for the first time and do it for a cause. What was that like for you? It was pretty mind blowing. Um, I think that there was good and bad things about 2021. Uh, I think it wasn't Patriots Day and there was a rolling start that morning, meaning you got there on your bus, you walked the mile to Hopkinton and then you started. There was no, they were trying to keep people with COVID in mind as separate from each other as possible. And that caused the field to be smaller uh, and, but allowed for people to be less crowded there was probably fewer people cheering because of that. And um, I'm sure that affected the experience somewhat, but it's just a magical race. The It is a challenging course and that's part of the allure. Uh, and that's part of the joy of it, to be able to, to point to having gotten over Carbreak Hill and to be able to to know that you got through the scream tunnel and it, there's just so many special things about that race, uh, historically and in the moment, uh, that I wasn't necessarily aware of the day that I got the bid, but in those 11 days, I really had an opportunity to try to learn more about it. And then the, the charity foundations, have events and so there's a couple of events and there was a breakfast where uh Mav Kifleski came and talked with Dave and just hearing those two wonderful human beings talk about their experience and talk about 2013 and the Boston bombings and 2014 and Mav coming back to win and it's just so special uh, so it was really amazing and then I think the other thing that was unique to me is that this family has right before Heartbreak Hill, they have their little place where they set up. And um, Jack Summy and got excited and we high-fived and uh, just getting a hug from them and just feeling this really special connection to, to an extraordinary effort that amazing people are making while you're trying to do this physical thing was just unexpectedly amazing. 
It's beautiful. Love it. And five-minute PR as a bonus at the end on a tough course. That's definitely worth more than a five-minute PR. And it was warm-ish that day as well as it can be in Boston because I ran it that year. So not an easy day to have a five-minute PR, but you crushed it. And and this is where we could start to talk about the snowball kind of starting to build, right? Because you get a five-minute PR, you've done a bunch of marathons, gotten three minutes, suddenly you get a five-minute jump. And then things start to pick up momentum from here. So talk about the last two years. Yeah, so October 21 was that marathon. And I got wind that there was a possibility that they would be have a bib for me next time around, which was now Patriots Day 22. And I was still four weeks or so from completing that training block for 21 that I had sort of made up in my mind. So the five-minute PR sort of intrigued me in saying, well, I'm training this new way. I'm building now several years of over a thousand miles, more miles this year, embracing slow, polarizing my training. What what else can I do? And so I I picked up a different uh, a different training schedule from a, a local running club here and, and kept listening to the podcast and, and kept trying to um, to really live the 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 rogue teachings that you were putting forth and trained really hard uh, and got to Boston this time with five or six weeks of heads out that I would be running for this team uh, try to raise a little bit more money uh, did some the first year but try to do it again for this for this family and for this foundation uh, and I got to Boston hoping to Knowing I would get a PR, I would say, I, I think I felt pretty strongly that that was possible and hoping to get a BQ because uh, at that point, I I sort of had known that I would BQ at some point, but my, uh, my understanding before having run in 21 was that I was getting slowly faster and I was getting slowly older. And at some point, <laughs> those two curves were going to cross. Right. What was your age and what qualifier did you need just for context? So I so I was 44. I would have needed a 410, but a 420 would have done just fine because I was about to turn 45. And that's the biggest job. 310, 320. 320, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And what did you do? So I ran 322. Just a little short. Yeah, it was yeah, but an eleven minute PR. I'll take it. It's fantastic. <laughs> how did that one go? Clearly you were more focused on the result for that one. So how did it change the race for you? I was more focused on the result, but I still had this um in the back of my mind that I wanted to run a good race and I wanted to respect the the charity jersey that I was wearing uh and have a good showing. Uh, but I felt more comfortable. I felt more fit. I mean, having run Boston once, I knew a little bit what to expect. And I live at literally at mile 23. 
and all my long runs were on the on the all the hills in Newton. So I felt pretty comfortable with the challenges that the course had to offer. And I I went out a good controlled hard uh, and got to the bottom of, of Heartbreak Hill. And here comes Jack running towards me. And he ran probably 100 feet to me. And I picked him up completely covered in sweat <laughs> and carried him back to, to his family and gave him a huge hug and kept running uh, and felt pretty good until I would say so 23, I saw my family stop giving him hugs. And then right after my house, you start going downhill in Brookline. And that started to feel really hard. Uh, but I knew it was downhill, so I knew I could push a little bit more. And I just kept telling myself, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Uh, and ran it in. Uh, and it just felt amazing. I think that turn, you know, right on Hartford, left on Boylston, and the crowd just goes wild. Uh, I think this year being on Patriots Day and being better attended with less concern about COVID, uh, it felt even more emotional, more powerful. uh, And it was just awesome. Paul, I'm... I'm curious if I can on the, um, I love that you're able to say, Hey, I'll take it like 11 minute PR. Cause internally that's the way like I see it. Um, anytime a person does something better than they've ever done it in life, they should be happy. Like I, I just feel like it's missed. And in some ways that communicates taking a form of life for granted. Um, so I'm deeply passionate about that conversation. Um, but technically, I mean, not technically, simultaneously, this is like a dualistic component. You're also someone who likes to take the hardest path and you're a high achiever. Um, and the external standard was 320 and you didn't get that 320. And yet you were able to smile and say, Hey, I'll take it. And I'm asking really, cause I'm hoping listeners can take something from this. Like, how did you work through that mentally or did you not? Or was it just sort of a like, no, Hey, I'll take it. And you just moved on. Like, cause so much of coaching is that conversation. I, I, I've had that conversation probably 20 times this year, and I'm having it again tonight on the track with someone who recently raced, where it's like, you ran better than you've ever run, but you didn't hit your goal. Uh, I don't know. How, how did you come to that place of peace and acceptance on it? I think, I think that I'm fortunate that these goals to me are important but they're also arbitrary. I'm not someone who's wanted to have a BQ for the last 10 years and who's been working at it for 10 years and who's had disappointed disappointment over and over again. And that makes it easier, I think, for me to reframe around that failure if you want to say, you know, I didn't get that goal and say, 10-minute PR, you're going to get it next time. And you're getting faster and Boston's not going anywhere to say it's a pretty fantastic day. And I wouldn't trade those two minutes for, for not having 
picked up Jack and the family came to me like, you could have qualified and you picked up Jack. And like, yeah, I wouldn't, that was one of the most special moments of my life and I wouldn't trade it for anything and, and certainly not for a BQ. Uh, and why not next time? What is it, what is it about this cycle that it had to be when it had to happen? Um, that's one part. I think the other part, I spent a lot of years rock climbing and bouldering and especially then I think that, you know, climbing a rock might take you two minutes, but you might spend six years working on it. And if you don't enjoy the process, the two minutes are pointless. And so I think having the benefit of, of being relatively masochistic and enjoying the process, enjoying the training, enjoying the daily gains makes it a little bit easier to say, well, it's still a pretty good day. I like the comparison to rock climbing. I think some people would also bring up like skateboarding, for example, is a similar sport where you might try to solve the same problem, boulder problem, or get the same trick and you might fail a hundred times to get that one time you nail it. And that's just accepted in those worlds. <laughs> and in fact, it's not just accepted, but it's celebrated as a part of the beauty of the process, the failure part. But in running, we struggle sometimes, I think, celebrating the, the lessons and the failure part. So it's cool that you have that context. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it is interesting how the other sports can teach you. So you use the skateboarding, Chris, and I was thinking of golf, too, because it's golf's. I grew up on that game and learned that first. And it's it's honestly inverted. It's a game of trying to do something you've already done, not a game of trying to do something you've never done. And so, like, every time you go out on the course, it's like I've hit this drive a thousand times on a range i've hit this nine iron a thousand times on the range i've made harder putts than this but just being able to do it kind of when you need to is that sport but yeah it's like a technique driven sort of keep trying keep trying keep trying remind me paul what you did in the fall of 22 because you joined us in january of this year so i think james this is the other part of the answer and then you double down. So <laughs> you go again. <laughs> you go again. And so I've gone to say, what is a good course? I have a good friend of mine who lives around here, who who knows running around here. And I said, I need a fall marathon. I want a fast course and I want it to be beautiful. And he gave me a couple of options. And we decided to do the Green River Marathon that starts up in New Hampshire, if I'm not mistaken, comes down to Massachusetts, point to point, uh, starts up in the mountains, and you come down somewhere, I want to say 1,600 feet of, of net loss um, with very little climbing in it, uh, which I don't necessarily recommend that approach, but it was a beautiful course. Uh, I didn't realize until race morning that it was mostly packed dirt trail. Uh, but I trained, I did another training block and then 
set out to do a raise that uh, got me my BQ. What was your time then? 3.17. So another five-minute chunk. 11 minutes, then five minutes. Then you thought, I need to join the Renegades. Well, and (laughs) suddenly there's now three points pointing to the fact that this approach that you're preaching that I'm getting for free (laughs) works. And I wonder, I started to wonder at that point for the first time, well, can I run three hours? Why not? Uh, And what do I need to do that? And uh, I think reaching out to a coach and you've been my, had been my coach unofficially. So reaching out to, to you and to the team uh, to try to become a better runner seemed like the right thing to do. Before we talk about Paul's journey with us, with the Renegades and what's next in his story, I wanted to quickly talk about my sponsor for this episode, Run Johnji Johnji Running Apparel. I'm actually wearing one of their pieces right now, the new Waffle Loft Long Sleeve, which is actually amazing for both runs as a secondary layer as well as for casual wear it looks great as well i've been i've been using it for both and i'm really loving it would highly encourage you to go check out their fall and winter gear because it is amazing also love their merino pieces so go stock up their pieces are great they're functional and they support great causes two percent of all revenue goes to support water projects all around the world you also get a five-year run everywhere guarantee so that means this stuff is durable and they back it up with that five-year guarantee. So go to their website, check it out, runjohnji.com or simply johnji.com. You can use my code ROGUE15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5 for 15% off your first order, your second order, as many orders as you want to put in to stock up on their gear. So go get their fall and winter gear now. Again, I'm wearing the Waffle Off long sleeve. Really love that. So go check that piece out. And let's get back to my conversation with Paul. So you joined us in January of 2023 to train for Boston 2023. Was that under a charity bib or did the 317 get you in? So getting older is really great when you're a runner (laughs) trying to get to Boston. And so I was 45. I needed 320. And that year and the year before, there was no buffer needed. Uh, which I certainly would not have been able to run had that been this cycle. Uh, so I got a chance to run Boston with a qualifying time. So let's talk about joining the Renegades for a second. What was that experience like? Obviously, you'd heard a lot of the principles via this podcast, but getting thrown into that group and being able to experience it, not just the principles, but also the specifics too, the workouts and everything else. How was it? So the other reason I joined uh, is that I was following these this highly regarded, very successful team's training schedule. And their training schedule has essentially three quality days a week. They have a long run often with quality. They have a speed day and they have a tempo day. and I often felt like that was too much for me. And I was 
at risk or concerned about getting injured. And so that was the other thing pulling on me, trying to find someone that could help me continue to progress, continue to get stronger, but but hopefully without letting me get injured. Uh, so that was that was the other nugget. And and coming into the Renegades was pretty intimidating. Uh, the first show, the first podcast I heard was the the awards for the <laughs> season, uh, which I think is a pretty phenomenal introduction. And I got a chance to hear not about one person, but about multiple people and what they had accomplished uh, in in talking about nominations for grit and sort of team spirit and really highlighting facets of multiple people that were suddenly my teammates and I was suddenly intimidated by. So that was, that was pretty cool. Good intro. We it was excellent. I think that caused a light bulb to go off for me because I'll pay the compliment now, but um, I was going to just say like you showed up with tenacity and grit and team spirit both. Like it, it's not like you have a misalignment or, or out of balance on either of those. Um, you like you respond to every single teammate with love and enthusiasm and encouragement and you've trained your ass off, which we will and got results. So I know Chris is going to go there in a minute, but I'm like, Oh, maybe that's just that small because that was your entry. I mean, I don't want to take from you. It's your, you, you, who you are as a person. And then also I'm like, Oh, I didn't think about like, if you start with that, um, it's almost a model for like, here's how you behave on this team. And then you've just showed up that way for 12 straight months. First episode, we programmed him in the first episode. It worked. <laughs> Unintentionally. We, we do annual awards for that group, which we, the team nominates and votes on. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Watch James. We need to, we probably need to get that process going. We're approaching December. So that was your intro. You're training for Boston. You had already already embraced a lot of the principles, but when you think about that first cycle with us, what changed, what stayed the same, maybe what amplified, how did it evolve? I think the thing that it, well, first it really supported, was synergistic with what I had embraced and, and it, it sort of allowed me to double down on the idea that I should run easy to give me better understanding for why I was running easy when I was, how to how those easy days fit into the rest of the week, and it, it was the it's I think the the rogue approach for me is fantastic in that there's a focus on a quality day, on a long run day, on a medium long run day that is not necessarily a, a sort of speed neuromuscular taxing day. And from an injury risk standpoint has worked really well for me. Uh, and I think that in seeing what everybody else was doing and in, in having these new big goals, uh, and, and understanding the principles and, and the encouragement from everybody. And it's just a golden group of people uh, that come together. And then in seeing people's performances uh, was really motivating to try to 
try to see what I could get out of myself. So I, I worked on increasing my mileage. I had never done uh, 60 miles. I got peaked uh, uh, almost 70 miles, I think 68 and a half or so for that cycle. Uh, and having the two ups, one down uh, pattern where you could really push, uh, having really prioritizing getting to the workout stronger to perform better. All of those things gave me the opportunity to, I think, became a, to become a better runner and to, when I had questions to then bounce it off of you guys and off the rest of the team and, and to feel really empowered in my decisions and in my priorities. I'm curious, how many miles do you think you'll finish this year with? Do you know? I think it'll be around 2,600. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a thousand more miles than last year. Wow. It's incredibly amazing to know you've had compartment syndrome historically, and that was part of your like early days too. Yeah. And it just, I mean, it points to your commitment to the polarization, right? I mean, you wouldn't have been able to do that without the polarized approach. And I think one of the things that you probably have learned, you tell me in the Renegades is that you can polarize even more and still have success, which is sometimes hard to grasp until you start to see it. Yeah. I think one of the things that hadn't sunk in wasn't part of my knowledge base is that what I did at the beginning was the perfect recipe to get injured, not only because I was, I had my comfortable speed and that was the speed I ran with, at. And then sometimes I tried to run harder, which is neuromuscularly a bad idea, but also because I was trying to fit all the miles into fewer days because that's what I thought I had to do. And I think the nugget of knowledge that's new to me is that spacing out those miles or even increasing your miles, but adding more days and making sure that the appropriate number of those days are easy, actually make you more resilient and stronger rather than put you at higher risk of injury, which is what I was doing to myself. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they say, well, I can't run more than three or four days a week. And the answer to that is yes, you can, but you got to do it differently. <laughs> got to slow down. You got to polarize and you have to build in the right ways. So in two, you've now run two marathons with us. We're going to kind of quickly spoil that for the, the listeners here. You crushed it in Boston, got another PR. So what'd you run there? Tell them, tell them how that one went. 310. Another seven minutes, and then then you go to Berlin in September and run another marathon. And what do we get with that? So the thing about the Berlin story that I like to say, because this was entirely eye-opening to me, is that I thought I was going to try to run 305, and I thought I... My, I had set up a goal of 258 because 259 is too close to three. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that it would take years and I needed uh, a team to help me structure those years. And I was committed to that. Early in the training cycle, James, you suggested, well, 
you could go do a two to three mile time trial. And I hadn't run a 5K in a decade. So I found a track 5K uh, that was a pretty phenomenal event. And I ran a pretty sweet time that I didn't expect, just trying to not get dropped by the group. Uh, and then put that into a calculator and it said, you could try to run that time now and not wait. Uh, and we talked about that and you guys encouraged me to take the next few weeks, try to run those paces, see how it felt. And I was able to do that, feel strong, hit those paces, increase my mileage. And, and I went to Berlin hoping to, to run that sort of end goal. Uh, and it worked out. What'd you run? 258. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Sub three. Boom. It's it's so cool and so satisfying for everybody to see that. I mean, for me as a coach, for James as a coach, for the team, for I know you as an individual athlete. But I go back to the process. You know, your commitment to the process over the last really, you know, two, two and a half years of committing to these principles, you, you know, you're stuck at sort of close to 340, 337. Suddenly you embrace the idea of slowing down, building consistency, putting, stacking the miles together. Then incrementally you layer into that more elements and then boom, here we are, 258 marathoner in 2023, just like that. 40, almost 40 minute improvement in a couple of years. It's amazing. And what I want to reemphasize in there is this is also someone who at one point in time thought just like all of us do where we make that joke of, oh, age will catch up and then I cross Boston. Like how many quote people walk around a little bit self-deprecating, not able to believe in their talent, love to make that joke. You know, like we're speaking to the heart of distance runners right now. It's like, I don't know a distance runner who hasn't made that joke unless they like got into Boston already. But those who have never gotten Boston, but so many people will walk around being like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I can do it, um, but I'll age into it. It's like easy go-to low-hanging fruit joke. Um, you believed that once or joked like that once and now you, in 258, you're not even done. You're like you know, chomping at the bit to go for more. Yeah. And the 30 and you've got the fastest qualifying standard, right? <laughs> and again, built and still building. And I know there will be people that will listen to this and be like, Oh, I can't relate to that. you know, that's too fast for me. He was already fast, already talented. It's like, no, you had done a bunch of marathons and had a four minute improvement. And look, it could be, you know, 340 to sub three, or it could be 440 to sub four. I mean, this journey is going to be similar for anybody who might be at this point of feeling plateaued or feeling like they want to take it to the next level. It's like, actually, all the things you did and have done, anybody can do. And sure, the results are going to be different and relative, relative to them, but the steps you took are the same I would prescribe to anybody. You know, let's slow down. Let's add consistency. Let's start stacking miles. Let's 
build it gradually, which you did. And I know over the last year, we've escalated things a little bit more quickly, but you were, you've been able to do that because you earned it. And you also embrace the slowing down on the, on the super easy runs. And here we are. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And I think it's a good example of anybody who's listening to this can get amazing results if they're willing to embrace those principles and then commit to doing the work. You're not going to get the results without putting the miles in, but you can put the miles in just like anybody else. And because you went there, Chris, I just want to throw it. Like I know like given the time of the year, as people come into the new year, I want to go all the way back to that moment when you had the epiphany of I could do the six, 700 miles in the first six months and then be down and out. But that little light bulb that went off of like, oh, what if I just stretched a thousand across the whole year? It's almost like it, that, that was a little seed then that grew into listening to his podcast, understanding polarity and training. Anyway, not to be repetitive, but I want to further encourage. Yeah, it's good. It's good to repeat it. And here we are 2,600 miles in 2023 and still dreaming big. We still got more to get. So let's talk about where you are now and what your goals are now and how that's evolved. I, I do want to point out as we talk, as we transition to that part of the discussion that it can be hard to get a big goal so quickly in some ways, right? Cause you're like, Oh shoot. I thought this was going to last me a couple of years of dreaming and now I've got it. And now what, right? There can be a little bit of a letdown there. So how have you processed thinking ahead to what's next when suddenly you've accelerated in many ways, getting to where you thought you'd be? Yeah, I think it's been hard to come up with a specific goal that I am married to. Um, having said that, the the process is still what I enjoy the most. Uh, and I, I don't think that what I've done in terms of five back to back to back to back marathon cycles is the best way to be the best runner anyone can be. And, and if, if I have a goal right now is to be the best runner I can be. And so I, this success has allowed me to look back at my running times in the Marine Corps at my mile in high school and say, Hey, I'm sort of not that far. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to run those times? And uh, I've heard along the way that even ultras can be predicted by your 5k time. So why don't I work really hard to make my 5k time better, teach my legs how to run quickly. And uh, I know that Rogue and you are very, strong proponents of that polarized training in that direction of saying, don't always concentrate on the one race that you love because you're going to be much better at that race if you challenge yourself with other distances. And so speed cycle now, and then I'll try to smash a half. And then I have a goal marathon for, for a year from now. Which is which one? Going to Houston 2025. <laughs> Because my coach is doing it this yeah. year, and he's going to smash it. Yeah, so. you've got to you've got to chase me from this year. So, yeah, and and it's a good it's a good point, a good thing to point out that you had been 
limiting yourself in some ways by always doing the marathon, back-to-back marathons. How many marathons have you done at this point? 10. Okay. So you've got 10 done all within a relatively short period of time. And it was time to mix it up. As I like to talk about on the podcast, we've got to be good at all distances if you want to optimize any of them. And that's certainly true for the marathon. The faster you can run a 5K, the faster you can run a full. You recently raced a mile and a 5K back to back. What, by the way, what was your high school mile PR? Five zero zero, which is a frustratingly perfect <laughs> time. Love it. But that would be very satisfying to get under that for sure. So five flat, you just raced a mile. What did you do there? 5.17. 5.17 and then raced a 5K turkey trot. And how did that one go? It went pretty good. I think it was a challenging course. I ran 18.08. So we're starting to to now flex that muscle that speed muscle, which I think will only help you at all distances, but it's such an important part of the journey. You said, you said you just want to be the best version of of you as a runner. Why do you think that's important to you? And why has running become at least for now and maybe forever your outlet to try to express and find that? I think partly is because I I love being outside. I enjoy being in nature and having two young kids. This is the best way to do that in, in, with enough intensity to challenge me physically in the way in which I want to be challenged. Uh, the reason I say that is because I, I, love, I would love to encourage my kids to go rock climbing and to, to go back to taking some other sports and to being a multi-sport athlete. Um, and that's been really hard with with the busy work and home life. Uh, but running has also grown with me in a way in which I just find it so special right now. And one of my goals that might marry sort of this, uh, this intent to be outdoors and in beautiful places and the running is to do a little bit more trail running and I have this relatively arbitrary goal uh, that's not fully formed, but uh, I think is, is what my next big goal is to run uh, a big, tough 100K somewhere beautiful uh, in, in the next three years. Cool. Fair enough. Sure, there are plenty of those to go find. Why 100K though? Why not 50 miles? Is there anything particular there that's appealing? No, I think a 50 miler would be great too. Uh, <laughs> I think a 50K, this is an idiotic thing for me to say, and excuse my French, but it's too close to marathon distance, the 50K. And so to make a challenge really hard, 50 miles sounds great, 100K sounds great. It'll depend on the race, but something with a ton of vert. (laughs) It's got to be the hardest path, Chris. Right. And a good shirt's got to be part of the process. Well, I will will put a shout out here for uh, the Squamish 50 miler, which is beautiful. Vancouver area, Squamish 
a lot of vert, a lot of descending as well. It's got 10,000 feet of each. So it's a tough, tough course in 50 miles. But no altitude to deal with, really, because you only get up to about 4,500 feet. So it's it's actually pretty pretty manageable from that perspective, which was one of the requirements for me. Okay, so want to go do that at some point. Let's let's talk about your next, you know, 13 months or so. We're going to do speed track right now, train for a half, then go back to the marathon next fall, at least training for it for Houston 2025. When you think about your evolution from a process standpoint through those race distances, obviously you're you're getting the variety which is going to be important to taking that next step in the marathon what else are you thinking about or what do you think you need to do to to continue to take incremental steps one of the things you've said along the way which i think is pretty wise is not to lose sight of what's gotten me here and more of the same is is pretty good if I can continue to do that. And that's, you know, it might, it might be continuing to increase my miles or it might be doing a second year of 2,500 instead of, you know, the 1,500 that I had gotten to. That's that's in itself an increment and stacking strong, healthy years on each other. I think I, I've struggled to do, I have a lot of background in strength training and weightlifting, but I've struggled to do that as I've run more and more miles and I, I'm focusing on bringing at least body weight or low weight at home strength and core exercises to, to supplement my running. Um, and then I hope that I can, you know, by tackling these new approaches of short distance training and then a half, that I can really find out what my next set of targets should be. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things embedded in here, which I want to tease out for the group. One is this idea that you don't necessarily have to double down in, at least in terms of doing more (laughs) and doubling down in terms of doing the same things. Yes. But that is a common mistake I see people make is they have a breakthrough and they think, oh, if I just did everything on steroids that I just did, then I'll get even better. And what happens oftentimes in those situations is they overdo it. They take too many steps, they get injured, and then they end up in a spiral that way. But just doing more of the same. And I think for you, considering that you've been so focused on the marathon, if you just repeated what you did in the last year from a volume standpoint, while training for different distances, you're still going to see steps forward. You're going to still see breakthroughs without having to invent a new wheel. And so that's incredibly wise. The other part I want to touch on, which you kind of alluded to at the end, and then also you mentioned earlier about the paces sort of letting those paces come to you. I think that was also a, a a wise part of your last year is you didn't force it. You didn't say, oh, I need, I want this goal. So I'm going to start running those paces and hope that it sticks. 
No, you actually let those paces come to you by seeing natural milestones that indicated, hey, I can take that next step and then trying them out in workouts and feeling good about it and then continuing to, to move forward without just arbitrarily sticking with it. And that is a really challenging thing, I think, for people to embrace is, well, how am I going to get to that point if I don't just leap there? <laughs> well, you actually don't have to force it. And if you have to force it, you're probably doing something wrong. And so being very patient in those steps this year, but also as you enter the next phase of your training, I think is going to be going to be critical. So I guess it's boring sometimes to say more of the same, but in many ways, it's more of the same. I don't sense, though, that you're going to be bored by that. I think you're going to be pretty excited about it, which is also the sign of a good distance runner, somebody who can just put their head down and do the work. Every workout is is exciting unto itself. We just I just went out and did the quality workout, which was one one five k and on for eighteen minutes, two sets of that, and then in a new track that my wife pointed out, and it's just a joy to to find a way to run him. You're making changes along the way, right? To find a way to run it smoothly, to find a way to finish with with some more in the tank, to find a way to breathe comfortably with it, to make sure that you're you're working through the steps, listening listening to your body. And there's so much in doing the same, there's so much that you're still learning. Uh, I I love the idea of more of the same in that it's also not the same. Right, the 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 quality workouts for the long runs before Boston were different than the quality ro- workouts before the long runs in Berlin. So you guys are adding spice along the way that makes workouts different. And then the team aspect is something that I knew nothing about uh, from a virtual standpoint. I, I played on a lot of sports teams along the way, but seeing what other people are doing and encouraging each other. And if, if someone's running their quality on Monday and I'm running it on Tuesday and I'm worried about the workout because it looks really spicy, chatting about it or, or sending a message and saying, hey, how did that feel? Or they're saying, this was really hard, this was good, and modifying the rest periods in between. There, there's, there's a lot of stimulus modification there and there's a lot of amazing team environment. And if I can put together another 2,600 mile season, that's, that would be amazing. Truly. I want to quickly touch on how do you balance it, you know, with kids, how old are your kids? Two and four. So young kids putting in the volume, have a demanding job as a doctor. How do you make it all work? So I'm, I'm fortunate in that, I have a supportive family. I have a supportive work and I live far enough and close enough. So I run to work, do my workouts in the mornings. Uh, On quality days, I take an Uber back twice a week. And then on the other days, I jog back super, super easy. So I'm jogging back like four minutes slower than my MGP. 
for the two miles home on those other three days. Uh, and just instead of commuting for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I can go and run for an hour. That's brilliant. I think you also mentioned, or you also mentioned the support network. So critical. Got to have supportive family, which means you have to have a great family, but also means you have to share your goals with your family and open up to them about it and, and help them to understand why it's important to you so that they embrace it as well. Because ultimately everybody wants you to be the best version of you that's close to you. And so if you're willing to open up and share, then mo- then I think that helps in getting the buy-in and support sometimes from those that, that might say, oh, you're taking away from our time or our family time. How do your kids, how are your kids embracing it? They're, they're really cute. They have recently been mad at us because we ran uh, a Halloween 10K and then we ran the, the Thanksgiving 5K and they want to run. They don't want to be in the stroller. <laughs> so yeah. they, want, they want to race with mommy and daddy. Uh, and so I think that they're, they're like, look at me, daddy, I'm training. And I think they're embracing it in, in their own way and they're excited about it. And cool. I, I, I worry that they're going to think that doctors should wear bright color shirts and shorts every day when they go to work. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's great. I think to, to show them that that's what normal is. Right. You know, we just did a turkey trot with my family, my kids, 14, 12 and 10. We've done this 10 K turkey trot for five years in a row. And they're like, they think that's just normal and it's not normal, <laughs> but we've convinced them that it is so that there aren't any complaints and it's cool to see them just show up and get it done because they know it's like, Hey, I can do 10 K if daddy can do a marathon. So pretty cool. And I should say mommy too. My, my wife also is a marathoner as is yours. So, so as we wrap here, as you think about your journey and especially acceleration of your journey over the last year, especially, but a couple of years, what are takeaways you would want the general listener listener to, to walk away with? I think I completely understand why anybody listening to this would think I can't do that. Cause two years ago, I would have been the first person to say the same thing. Like, I can't do that. I've done five marathons. I've improved three minutes. And I've been <laughs> trying, like, why, why would any of this make sense for me? And I think that just like anything else, if you listen to the people who, who are in the know and you work a little smarter and you start stacking that work, that you're going to see results. And I, I think it can be for anybody, regardless of how, what your current goals and your current times are. I think if you work hard at something, you're going to get better. And I don't know if it's the hundred hour rule, why wouldn't it work for running? Uh, And I think that giving yourself the opportunity 
to do that has has for me had really big dividends in a way that in which I didn't expect, like I said. Yeah, it's the stacking of gains that you talk about and and really stacking of easy runs. I mean, that's I mean, if there were if we were to point to one thing that has led to this acceleration of 40 minute improvement in your marathon time, it's because you're doing more easy runs. Full stop. You're doing more easy runs. So all we're asking people to do is do more easy runs. <laughs> if you can do one easy run, you can do two easy runs, especially if you make them even easier than you are now. And then magic will happen. And I was talking to a woman yesterday who's very new in her journey, training for her first 5K. And we were. T- she was talking about running three days a week and that being a lot and trying to understand how she could do it. And, and I said, look, I want you to get to four days a week. And one of those days could be just walking, but I want you to get to four days a week of movement because that's going to create momentum. And then I want next month, I want you to think about 16 days of movement, walk, run, walk, whatever. It doesn't even matter what it looks like. There are no style points when it comes to easy effort runs. Just get it done. Just check those boxes. And if you can do that in 16 days in December and then January, there's no telling where you will be in three, four months time. And then of course you continue to stack that and then start to escalate it a little bit with experience and the results really snowball. So it's, it's as complex as you want to make it, but when you boil it down, it's as simple as it gets. We're stacking more easy runs. That's where you get results. So, and I'm excited to see where you go from here because we're just getting started, Paul. That's that's pretty awesome. And just to double down on the easy runs, as you're saying it, I'm thinking about it. I wouldn't have been able to do this many miles if I wasn't running easy. I wouldn't have been able to stay injury-free. I wouldn't have been able to do fast workouts if I wasn't running easy. And I wouldn't have been able to do several 20 plus mile long runs if I wasn't running easy. And everything comes from that that base. I agree. It's the foundation and it's unlocked all sorts of potential and will still unlock more. I was even, I was even going to say, um, the, I wouldn't have been able to, as you were going down that list of, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have been able to, I would also add that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, um, not I, um, you wouldn't have been able to, or even as coaches, we wouldn't have been able to affirm the whole, you know, two mile time trial or the, the 5k data point. Um, or like back in, you know, a lot of people still use Yasso's where there are these speed tests, these indicators of speed. It's sort of like, we, we can't take those types of time trials and speed tests and kind of like operate confidently on them. If it's not backed up by all those easy miles, I mean, you're 1700 miles into the year and you go do a 5k time trial, then it's sort of like, Oh yeah, whatever that predicts, let's, let's throw that up there and come after it, you know? So that has been floating in my head since you brought that up. So I figured I'd add it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the foundation that gives you the ability, the permission, the resilience to then start to complex, to, to add the complexity that you need to get the, the acceleration, the further acceleration of the results. So it all goes back to that. And if Paul can do it, anybody can do it. True story. <laughs> I love it. 
Well, thank you for joining us. It's awesome to have you on. Good to share the story of a renegade on this podcast. And we're excited to see where it goes from here, Paul. Me too. Thanks, Coach. There you go. Paul Estesso, everyone. I think there are lessons in his story for all of us. So please reflect on what you learned and potentially think about applying it in your own journey, especially thinking about getting more easy running in your routine. With that, we'll wrap this episode. Thanks again to my sponsor, Run Jonji. If you'd like to learn more about our coaching options, our virtual coaching options, whether it be virtual one-to-one or one of the virtual groups, we have Rogue Rising now for those that are building their volume and building their experience. And we have Rogue Renegades for that more experienced athlete who's ready to tackle big goals. You can just email us. We've got an email actually that we just created, coaching at roguerunning.com. That will direct you to someone who get back to you and get those questions answered to point you in the right direction if you're looking at one of our options. So go check it out. You can also check out our website, roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.